It's great to be together. Um, we're going to take, as I think Forrest said at the beginning, we're going to take communion after the, uh, the sermon today. So this is one of those uh, sermonians. In, in church at the moment. I think it's very encouraging. I think it's also you know, very useful for us to just keep a, a mindset on that. You know, life has its challenges for all of us, but uh, you know, to remember that there are lots of positive things uh, happening in church. And you know, last night was very encouraging, the men's night. You know, I can't remember the last time because we had one of those men's night events. You know, uh, maybe 17 years ago was the last one I remember in, uh, in Manchester. And you know, we had a whole range of uh, friends and visitors come along, and some of them are here today. And, and it was a great atmosphere, there were different things uh, set up around the rooms. We had uh, bowling going on on one side, we had a uh, hearts game and poker going on over here. And, and then I was kind of in charge of this uh, FIFA tournament on uh, the Xbox. And, and, and every time I play FIFA on the Xbox, it's just a humiliating experience. I stopped playing computer games back in, I don't know, 1999 or 1998 or something like that. And uh, I, I just, I don't know, I just kind of lost interest in it. I reckon I led the, the student ministry for a few years in, in Manchester. But we kind of had to get back in tune with, you know, what are, what are the young people of today like to actually do, you know? And everyone was like, you know, do a Bible study and they want to play Xbox afterwards. But it was just humiliating. I remember losing, you know, 10-0 things, you know. We'd do a Bible study and I'd be kind of trying to share, you know, and then I'd lose all credibility. We'd lose 10 mil. So I practiced a little bit, and then I lose 5 mil. You know, it wasn't quite so bad. But, but last night was just a reminder of playing against Joe, who's just walked in. Thank you. But, uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. You don't have to turn there. Cross for a second. John writes in John chapter 1, he says, The next day John was there again with two, this is John the Baptist, was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples of John the Baptist heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked them, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, you reply, and you will see. You know, this is probably the first time that, and, and, and these people are not the people necessarily you'll see in a minute or two, but, but this is Andrew, uh, uh, Peter's brother, who's there, and he was, you know, one of John the Baptist's uh, disciples. It's quite possible that, you know, uh, Andrew is slightly more spiritually minded than Peter, we'll come back to that in a minute or two. 
But, 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 you know, these two guys, they're disciples of John the Baptist, and they see Jesus walk past, and John the Baptist turns and says, you know, look at this guy, this is, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they're intrigued. You know, who is this guy? So, so they go up to Jesus and they say, you know, who, who are you? And Jesus' first call, if you like, is this. Come be with me. Come spend time with me. Come spend the afternoon with me. And they go there with him, they spend the afternoon with him. And then they're going to move on from there. They go to the wedding of, the Cana, uh, wedding of Cana. You know, they, the, the journey begins there. Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter, and he follows and things. But, but this is the first one, and if you like, it's the first call of Jesus. And some of us are in that situation now, where we're just encountering Jesus for the first time. You know, and, and, and Jesus' first call is, is come get to know, come find out about. Jesus' second call then comes. In Mark chapter 1. And I've always wondered about this. I've always wondered. The passage we're going to come to in a couple of minutes in Luke chapter 5. is very similar to the one in Mark chapter 1. And scholars are quite divided over. You know, are they talking about exactly the same thing? Right. I think for various reasons. And I'll explain why in a minute. They're probably actually talking about different occasions. But in Mark 1 verse 16. Mark writes. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net. Into the lake. Now, probably chronologically, this is after the, the John passage. It was not unusual, people tell us at the time, if there was an itinerant preacher, you know, a, a new preacher on the scene, a lot of people would follow him and then go back to their day jobs. You know, kind of follow him for a period, go back to their day jobs. That wasn't unusual. So Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees them and he says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, will be a fisher of men. But once they left their nets and followed him, you know, and the chances are, probably after the John situation, they had followed, they had listened for a distance, they had gone back to their day jobs, but now Jesus calls them. The first, if you like, call, proper call, really, is, is come follow, come imitate. And again, some of us, I think, are in those situations now as well. But we're going to spend most of our time on the third call of Jesus, which is all about this. It's all about surrender. The third call of Jesus, if you like, is, is be broken. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter and see what, what comes. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When it finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But, you know, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats uh, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to Simon, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets up on shore, left everything, and followed him. As I said, some people do think that this has a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels to Mark chapter 1. But a lot of other scholars say, no, there's something, you know, there's something different about this. Both, you know, what actually happens and what goes before. Let me give you some examples. You know, the passage we read last week in Luke chapter 4. 
is where Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. If you read back in Mark, that comes after the first pull. So Mark, Jesus meets them, says, come follow me. Then he goes, heals Peter's mother-in-law. In Luke, the healing the mother-in-law is in Luke chapter 4. And then the call here is in Luke chapter 5. A lot of people think that Luke's talking about a different scenario. What hadn't changed for Peter, I think, is that his heart hadn't changed. We'll come back to that in a minute. You know, he'd gone back to his day job. And as I said, a lot of people uh, would have done that in that day. There's some interesting things that Luke tells us as well. We'll get into the detail of of, of Peter's heart change in a minute or two. But a few things to to kind of note about the technical structure of the chapter and how it's actually set up as well. You know, apparently it's a sort of very typical Jewish structure. Isaiah does this in a number of places. Where they build, if you like, almost a kind of, I can't, maybe I could have done this if I kind of thought about it more cleverly. but, But it's almost a kind of pyramid structure that builds to this one central point. Which is what I've highlighted there. Kind of, they call it a nature miracle in the middle. So if you look through what's actually going on here, you know, there's a kind of a, a parallelism. So at the beginning, you know, he got into one of the boats, sat down, and began teaching people. It's the word being taught by Jesus. When he finished speaking, he said, "Let down your nets for a catch." And the first point then is, is Jesus commands, but this time to catch fish. Then Peter obeys, and the son answers, "Okay, boss." explain that. We're not do if you say so. It's Peter obeying, but the teacher, the phrase he uses for Jesus there is, okay teacher, okay boss. And then the central point, the kind of pinnacle of this of this pyramid, is this nature mirror, where the power of God is demonstrated. You know, they caught such a large number of fish that their boats began to sink. This, this was the turning point. This was where, you know, Peter's heart is, is changed. And I'll come back to that as well. Then after that, Peter surrenders, but this time he uses a different phrase, a different word for Jesus. It's now Lord. It's not just teacher or boss. Simon fell at Jesus' feet and said, get away from me, Lord. Then it's Jesus' command, but this time not to catch fish, it's to catch people. Again, we're kind of going down the other side of the pyramid. And then at the end, the word of God not being taught this time, but actually being obeyed. Like, you know, a pyramid kind of structure, but, but it points to something. I mean, you know, don't worry too much about the kind of technical thing. It tells us some interesting things about Luke as a writer and the kind of Jewish audience, perhaps, that he had in mind with this. But it's something very important going on in that central passage. The nature miracle, Luke is telling us, you know, focus all of your attention there. So what's going on for Peter? Well, it tells us a few things. It says, having spent the night out, you know, he must have been pretty frustrated. You know, perhaps, you know, I kind of, I assume that Jesus picked Simon's boat because he felt like, well, Simon owes me one for helping my mother, helping his mother-in-law in the previous chapter. We're assuming that Simon had a good relationship with his mother-in-law. Some of us might not be that grateful, actually, if Jesus had helped our mother-in-law get well. I don't know. I'll leave that to you. But, but we're assuming that, that Simon, you know, had, he owed Jesus one. And so Jesus sees Simon's boat, and people are crowding towards the shore. And, and, you know, these boats are about 25 to 30 foot long. They're quite big kind of things, fishing boats at the time. They actually found one buried in the mud there around the Sea of Galilee a number of years ago. So quite long, you know, boats, and, and Jesus sees this one, he goes, okay, you know, Simon, you know, you've called you to follow me before, and, and I, you owe me one for your mother, so let me get into your boat. And, 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 and so Peter's there, he's had a long night, he's tired, he's mending his nets, he's cleaning them, probably wouldn't have had, I don't know, maybe this is just me, probably wouldn't have had a great attitude to start with, but thinks, okay, do you know what, yeah, I know this is guy, this guy's a spiritual guy, I owe him one, etc., etc., now he sits through the sermon. You've got to picture this. 
This isn't just a kind of passive. They tell us that the, 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 the water on the Sea of Galilee, particularly close to the, the shore, if you've ever been on a lake, I mean, it's, you know, there's movement. Right? So it tells us that probably for the whole length of this sermon, Peter would have had to be literally kind of, you know, maneuvering the boat, rowing it, you know, doing pretty active kind of thing. So he's kind of listening to the sermon. He has no choice. Like he's, you know, a captive audience, literally. Like he can't go anywhere. And he's having to work pretty hard. And he's worked the night before. And so you can kind of get a picture of, you know, his attitude probably wasn't that great at this point. And then Jesus kind of says to him, okay, Simon, now, you've worked all night. You're mending your nets. I've sat in your boat. Now, I want to give you a command. And again, you can picture Simon's heart here. He knows a few things about fishing. I mean, this preacher, you know, is a pretty good preacher. I'll I'll give him that. But I know about fishing, right? And he knows a few things. He knows that the fish come close to the shore. They don't go out into the deep. That's why they fish closer to the shore in Galilee. Actually, it falls away quite sharply in the Sea of Galilee. So number one, he knows that the fish are nearer or more likely to be near the shore. He also knows fish don't come to the surface during the daytime. That's why they fish at night. So again, you know, number two. And this is this point. So he kind of says to him, okay, look, you know, I think effectively, I read this in one commentary, it's a bit like him saying, okay, boss, chief. He uses this word, epistatus, which is boss or chief. In the New Testament versions that most of us read, it, you know, it's teacher. But, but a lot of scholars say that's a bit too polite a phrase. Peter's being a little bit kind of flippant with him. Okay, boss, all right, chief, whatever you say, you know, you think you're a good preacher. Do you know what? I'm going to throw the nets in. I'm going to do what you say to kind of prove you wrong. Right? That, that, I think, is probably what pretty uh, much captures Peter's heart. And it's interesting, right? Because Peter sat, let's assume, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jesus was kind of one of those three-hour-long preachers. Let's assume perhaps Jesus had preached for an hour. There's no hint that anything Jesus had said in that hour had actually got through to Simon's heart. He had sat there and listened to, and, and in fact... By all accounts, he knew he had followed Jesus before and kind of heard things and, and he sat in his captive audience, but somehow nothing had got through to his heart yet. But something about this, something about this nature miracle, kind of pin- pinnacle of our pyramid, convicts him. And I think, if you like, it's the fact that Jesus gets into Peter's world. He gets into his world. And something about that convicts him. And I think it's that he sees Jesus' values. Jesus' values are so different to Simon's. You know, and I think, you know, that I was reading through it again this afternoon, just kind of thinking ahead about the sermon. And it's really interesting when you read Luke's gospel up until this point, if we piece together what Luke's doing, there are a number of places where, you know, the angels appear. And it says that the shepherds, they fall on their knees and they're cowering. And Mary, very similar kind of reaction. And then an angel appears to, 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 uh, to Joseph and, you know, similar kind of response. There's something about, you know, when God appears to you in the flesh, the right response is, is to cower. To, you know, to, to pull back in fear. If you think about Isaiah chapter... Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has an encounter with God. Again, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, but Isaiah has this encounter with God. And and, and he says he enters the throne room in this vision. He enters the throne room of God. And when he sees God and all of these angels and cherubim and seraphim surrounding the throne, he says this. He says, woe is me. I I don't know. 
maybe it's just a cynic in me. Like I think a lot of you know charismatic kind of church movements and things, they have this kind of very fluffy sort of image of God as this kind of nice guy on a throne. Woo-hoo! But but Isaiah, when he saw God, you know, he said, I, "I'm dead. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King." He cowered in fear. He fell on his face like he was dead. That was his response to seeing God. Matthew 5, verse 3. When Jesus is going through the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude is what? Quick spot quiz. What's the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. You know, there are two words in Greek. Sorry, I'm not a Greek scholar. There are sometimes when the Greek words I think are really helpful. But there are two words in Greek for poor. There's this one word which is penis, which is a guy who is, you know, he's poor, but he can provide for himself. Like he has a job, he's not affluent, but he's able to kind of, you know, provide enough food for himself to live on. But the, Jesus, the word that Jesus uses in Mark, uh, Matthew 5 verse 3 is this word ptokos. It's, it's, it's absolute abject poverty. It's the guy who is so poor, he cowers in the street. But he has no option but to beg. To beg. And he's ashamed to do it. And, it, and, and he smells and he knows it. But he has no option but to beg. And Jesus says, blessed are those people spiritually. Blessed are the people who are so aware of their spiritual poverty that they have no choice but to beg from God. You know, God, you've got to help me. I can't help myself. And we hate, we hate being in that position. I, I do. I, I try everything within my power to avoid being in that position. I hate being desperate. But Jesus starts, it's the first beatitude. He says, blessed are those people. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's the heart of being a Christian. You know, when we first became Christians, that was the heart. The challenge is, as we go on as Christians, that's still got to be the heart. I mean, let me show you a clip from a movie. Do you need to turn off the lights? We had a little technology problem, so we can hope in that this, this plays. Let me just give you a bit of context. Have you seen the film um, Click with Adam Sandler? Anyone seen that film? Like it's basically Adam Sandler in the movie. He gets a kind of remote control like this, like a TV remote control from this wacky old guy, Christopher Walken. And he basically figures out. You know, there are parts of his like. Basically, he wants to be this successful architect guy. And so you know, he's a kind of probably mid thirties. But 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 you know, he, he can't reach that, that 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 destination soon enough. He just wants to be rich and famous and recognised and successful and. You know, there are loads of parts of his life that he just considers to be, yeah, this is, this is a waste of my time. My goal is, is there. And so he gets this remote control, and he kind of, he starts figuring out, man, I can fast forward through the bits of my life that I don't really, you know, they're not really worth my energy or my time. The trouble is, he, he goes so far forward, this is what happens. Hey, Dad. Sorry to uh, bug you. Would you mind looking at my uh, my shopping mall design again? This one is cheaper. But if you check this out, 
You'll see it has Whoa. a much better natural flow. Cheap flow. Like, like I said, I just let me do my email. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dad. Um, he ain't right. You're a schmuck. Look at it. Surprise. Hey, Grandpa. Oh, my God. <laughs> when did you get so handsome? So, Michael, I had a wonderful idea. Your mother's playing canasta with her friends tonight. I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. You, me, and Ben should go and have a boys' night out. Can't. What do you mean you can't? You have to eat sometime. We could go, we could whistle at pretty girls. <laughs> I'm down for that. See, he's down. I don't know what it means, but he's down. <laughs> hey, please. Don't give me that finger. I'll make you a deal. If you come, I'll show you the quarter trick. Will you look at the man? I'll tell you the secret. No, Dad. Don't you want to know how I you do the stupid trick? I've always known. Can you let me do my work? You've always known. You're pathetic.
But, but what about the kind of hidden sins? What about the kind of stuff that you know comes out there? What about what about our selfishness? What about our lack of love for other people? What about our bad motives? What about our envy or our pride? You know, are, are we actually in touch with it? With who we feel like really are? Because appreciate what Roger and Sybil were sharing. You know, for me, you know, if I'm honest, my kind of my hidden sins, the stuff that goes on in my heart, is is you know, I'm, I'm a very angry, resentful person. Like, and and I, I I was completely out of touch with that for. Up until our kids were born, to be honest, you know, maybe maybe slightly earlier in marriage, but definitely when our kids were born, and I started seeing this whole other part of my character that I just, I, I have no idea where it came from. I, I just, I'd never seen it in that way before, you know. And, 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 and I struggle with. It's hard for me to even kind of talk about this now, if I'm honest, because you know, I, I, I can live my life in denial, right? It, it, you know, and, 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 and when I'm in denial, I think, no, no, it's, it, it's, it's this person over here. That's the problem. If they weren't this way, then I wouldn't, you know, it's them. Or it's this situation at work. If I hadn't had 500 emails in the last hour at work, then I wouldn't be so frustrated and angry right now. And, and I deceive myself, right? You know, the other day Raquel had raised some things with me and, and, and anyway, we talked about it and, and I still didn't get it. You know, we kind of talked it through and then a few days later we, we talked about some of those things again and, and I, I, you know, I kind of began joining the dots between a few situations where I kind of, I kind of thought, wow, you know, I, I, I hadn't seen how, like if I, was to, if, I was to, if I was like that, if I was the other person in the room watching myself, I'd be ashamed. We went to our, here's the situation, right? Something went wrong. Our washing machine broke down uh, uh, one week, and then a week later, our, dish, uh, our tumble dryer broke down. Right, so it was kind of car crash month in terms of finances and stuff. We went to, to get those uh, things. We bought a washing machine one week, and then and then tumble dryer broke down. And we, we went into the store, and there was one that we could walk away with that day, and there was another one we had to wait for. And Raquel preferred this one for better, it made kind of more sense, and and, and that, that's fine, right? But I, I flipped out. And I, I wasn't kind of swearing and cursing, but I was fuming. I was blunt with Raquel. I was, I was, I was seething. And we talked about it, you know, again about two weeks after that. And I have no idea what, why, where did that come from? It's a flat washing mill, tumble dryer. Like, why? And I've got all the kind of, you know, the, 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 this it'd been a bad situation at work in that week, and this has happened, but. I, if I was the other person in the room watching me, like, what, why? Why do I, why, why do I react like that? You know, what stops us actually being in touch with our sin? I think Luke gives us a, a, a number of clues, to be honest. You know, isn't it strange that in Luke's gospel, there's a whole number of situations where he gives us two characters. Think about it for a minute. Uh, Luke chapter 7. There's this really, you know, there's Simon the Pharisee, right, who is there in a room, and there's this other woman, it doesn't tell us exactly, but she says she's a sinful woman. And Simon spends the whole meal with his mates, kind of going, look at this woman over here. 
doesn't Jesus know it? And then Jesus kind of goes, but Simon, let's, let, let, let's, let's address your heart as well. Luke chapter 15. How many brothers? We talk about the prodigal son in the single, but it's not. It's the prodigal sons. Luke gives us two. One went off and kind of sinned his brains out over here, and the other one stayed at home and, and was, you know, bitter and resentful and distorted inside. And I think Luke's trying to give us, he's kind of saying, which of those two are we? In Luke chapter 18, there are two people who go up to the temple to pray. Who are they? The Pharisee and the tax collector. Right? And, and, and the Pharisee goes there, and, and how's he? He's like, God, I thank you, God, that I am so awesome. I'm a great guy. God, did you not know how much I give? Did you know? And the tax collector, it says he stands at a distance. He beats his chest. And he says, God, forgive me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus ends the parable and he says, only one of those men left the temple justified. And it wasn't the Pharisee. And then Luke chapter 19. There's the rich young ruler who comes and Jesus says, you know, fine. And he says, I, you know, I, I have. I'm a good guy. And Jesus says, you know what? You know, one thing you lack. And then in the next chapter, we come across Zacchaeus. Who's this guy like the tax collector who just beats his chest and he's like, I give it all. I just I surrender. The, I just give everything. Just take the lot. And I think Luke sometimes, he, you know, he, he's really, he's holding up a mirror to us. And I've got to be honest, I think that mirror is particularly striking for us as disciples. As we get older as disciples. What do we do? I think we do three things. I certainly do. Number one, we become fixated on other people's sin. Like we just, we, we can't, we just can't, we can't get beyond it. And you know what's funny? If you're looking for other people's sin, you're going to see it. Because they're sinful. Right? And so if your goal in life is to find fault with other people, surprise, surprise, that's what you'll find. And you, and, and, and you know what? You could go all of your life finding a new person every day to find fault with. Or you can find one person and you can, you can become so bitter inside because you're so focused on this one person in your life who ruins your life because of their sin and you fixate on that person. Number two, we become blind to our own. We become so just accustomed to it. And it's not necessarily, you know, I'll give you the third one in a minute, but, it, but it's, it's not necessarily, it's, it's, we're just not clear. We just don't see it. And the third one is we rationalize it, which I think is even more concerning. We fixate on other people, we're just blind to it, which is, you know, kind of, but, 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 but thirdly, we rationalize. You know, people raise things with us. I bet you, if, if, if you wrote down, like if you kind of take a piece of paper, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, and you wrote down on a piece of paper, what is the thing that, you know, over the last 10 years people have raised with me? You probably see a parallel. Like, unless, unless you've changed in areas, you probably see a parallel. You kind of think, oh, you know, that, that's come up before. People have raised things with us. Or like Peter, maybe it's not, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's life has raised in the situations that happen to us again and again. But we rationalize, we kind of go, it's not me, and I'm an expert at this. It's got nothing to do with me, right? It's, 
it's this silly situation there. It's those crazy students at work, or it's that dark, you know, my head after that one who's. Oh, you might be listening. Yeah. No, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Tim. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, but, it, but it's not. But, 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 but we kind of blame it away on someone else or something else. And I've got to be honest, you know, as we get older as Christians, I think we become experts in some, time, you know, in some cases at rationalizing our sin. Because we've kind of seen it so often and so many times. And we just, what's that? What, what, rationalizing, what, what am I actually saying? We harden our hearts. Like Jesus, the New Testament never talks about rationalizing your sin. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says over and over again, he says, you know, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. But that's what we do. And, and so it becomes like this indefensible, impregnable shield around us where someone can address something or a situation and, and God is trying to knock on our heart, right? Like with Peter, I guess maybe Jesus was kind of hoping that Peter would have got something in the sermon, but he kind of didn't. So Jesus kind of went, okay, let me come into your world and maybe then you'll get it, right? But, 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 but if we've got this shield around us, like, you know, the, the X-Men character who can turn himself into titanium or something. And we're in lockdown and that is it, right? No one is getting in. That's a scary place to be. And I'm not just talking, but, you know, let's, let's get this right. I don't get any sense from Jesus' interaction with Peter that he wanted Peter to walk around feeling like a worm. I think some of us, we kind of feel like, oh, you know, if, if I acknowledge my weakness and my sin, if I become talkless, if I become desperate and, and, and acknowledge my weakness, then, then, then you know, I, I don't want it. I'm afraid of being and sounding and feeling like a worm. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. You know, actually acknowledging our sin, my sin, actually kind of helps me be more secure. Because when I've got my shield up, I've got to keep the perfect image, right? I, I, I gotta, I gotta keep the kind of the, you know, the impression going that I got everything. If I acknowledge, you know, I, I am an angry, resentful person in my heart, right? This is who I am. Then all of a sudden, actually, I can kind of go, wow, do you know what? I, I had this prayer time one time in, in Manchester where I just, I kind of, I was praying through this stuff and, and my, you know, my hidden sin. And it just suddenly struck me for the first time, I think, in my Christian life, you know, many years ago, I kind of thought, wow, God loves me. In spite of that. Not, not because I got this perfect titanium image. You know, everything is great. But, but actually God loves me in spite of my weakness. In spite of my sin. I, there's, I feel this incredible... When I can get my head around that, I feel this incredible relief. Like, wow, you know, actually what people think of me, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. God loves me in spite of my, my sin. And the truth is, you know, unless we see, unless we acknowledge and really, you know, are in touch with our sin, we can't see God's mercy. It doesn't really make sense. Like, wait, why would you need mercy unless you realize, wow, you know, I'm a mess. There's this story told of a man taking a flight and, and halfway through the flight, it's not a true story, it's an analogy, but, but, but there's this, halfway through the flight, the, the flight attendant comes around and hands him a parachute and says, put this on, sir. Right, and so he kind of begrudgingly puts this thing on, and the whole the rest of the flight, he's like, you know, complaining, oh, this is just just uncomfortable. I can't sit in my seat properly, and why can't I just take it off? Why on earth do I have to wear this? Look, it looks so stupid. This guy over here, he doesn't have one on. Why, why is everyone else wearing one? You know, he's getting himself all wound up, angry and frustrated and flustered. But if the same flight attendant had come around to him and said, "Sir, you know, I, I got to be honest, the flight." 
plane is going down. You know, we need you to put this parachute on. You know, the, the, the rest of the flight, while it was still in the air, like his attitude would have been different. Like he would have, there'd have been gratitude. Like he'd have been like, I get a parachute. Maybe there's not enough for everyone else. I don't know, but, but, but I got a parachute. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm safe. And, and the truth is, I think a lot of times we, we don't feel the gratitude. We don't see the good news. Because we don't see the bad news. Like what's, what's the good news? Like Jesus walking around going, come follow me. That's, like where's the good news in that in a sense? But, but if we understand, man, the plane's going down and Jesus is offering us a parachute, then that's good news, right? And I think the truth is, as Christians, we've we, we got to keep going back to the bad news. We've got to keep, you know... I'm not good at this. I, I, you know, a week can go past where you know I, I, I don't pray about and try and acknowledge what is my sin. I pray about a lot of situations. I want to see change in this. And da, 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 da. But, but sometimes I kind of go, like, man, why? You know, where, have I even acknowledged my own? I'm praying to God. You know, have I actually acknowledged my own sin this week? That's, that's a good prayer time, right there. Right? Is to acknowledge your own sin. And I think the truth is, you know, when we see our own sin, then we start to understand God's mercy, and then we can start to get committed. You remember sitting watching The Passion of the Christ the first time? Have you seen the film? I remember sitting in the cinema when that first came out, and man, you know, there's not, I, I don't usually sit in the movies and bawl my eyes out, but I remember watching that movie and just being in pieces. I remember praying during that film, as a few of the disciples went, and I remember watching that, and just praying during the film, God, you know, whatever you ask of me. Whatever you want. I mean, the fact I don't have to go through that beating, whatever you say, whatever you want, is okay. And I think that's what Peter saw. Like he saw Jesus' kindness, his purity, his holiness. And, and he saw his own heart, right? His own bad heart, his own bitterness, his own resentment. That's where he saw God. It was both parts of that. What about us today? You know, some of us you know, are studying the Bible, looking to become Christians. Or maybe visiting for the first time, but I'm thinking particularly about the people who have been studying for a while. You know, why wait? I think sometimes, and, 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 and you know, there's a sense in which you, you, you've got to understand what becoming a Christian is about. And if, if, you know, if you need to understand what baptism means, then fine, you know, sure. You know, study it and, and grasp it. But, but really... It's, it's all about this. Yeah. Like, you know, when we get our sin, when we really understand that, we understand the offer of God's grace. What's holding you back? What about the students? And, you know, I appreciate, you know, I'm not trying to lay it to you guys, I'm not, and for the, for the younger guys, but I think particularly about the kind of the, those kind of, you know, whatever they would be holding you guys there. 14 through to 20s, 22 year olds. That, that kind of age group. Like, I appreciate it's not that helpful when someone stands up from the other pulpit and, you know, me and Forrest or whoever else it would be, who's kind of, you know, it's going on middle age or whatever we are now, and, and kind of goes, yeah, you guys, when we were your age, we lived radical life. I appreciate that's not the, maybe the most helpful or sensitive kind of thing, you know, and you kind of go, well, yeah, show us what it's like again. And, and our response would be, life's a little different now, right? We've got kids and we're older and our joints ache and things, and, you know, we're a bit decrepit, we've got arthritis. But, but, but putting that aside, I'm going to go there anyway. I'm going to, you know, are you living a radical life on campus, right? Or in your schools, or wherever, being homeschooled, I don't know. But, but are you living a radical life? That point really falls right. You go, it's a school, a homeschool, okay. But, 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 
I'm living a radical life. I'm serious. I, I'm deadly serious. Life, is, life gets much more complicated. I probably said the same point every time I've said it preach, but life gets more complicated when you get older. But you, it does, you know, that's true. And, you know, you're in a situation where, you're, you know, if you're at Birmingham University or Aston University or BCU or whatever, you're surrounded by 15 to 20,000, Birmingham University, 25,000 students. Like, is it your goal? Is it your mindset? I am on campus because God wants me to change this university. You know, I feel ashamed sometimes. Like, I'm busy, I'm running from one lecture to another, and I kind of, and I, it's on my heart, I think, been reaching out more, and, and, and this year I've been lousy at reaching out on the way to university, on the way to lectures and things like that. But but you guys have more time than I do. I should be doing it, but you should be doing even more, right? Is that your goal? Is it to, to make a difference on campus? You know, I, many of us were sharing when, when we were students. That was our goal. We were sharing our faith. We were still about with three, four people a week. You know, it was our goal to share our faith with five people a day or ten people a day, whatever it was. And the goal is not the important thing. But, but it, do you have a radical heart? Because the truth is, if you're trying to imitate the people who are now in their 40s or older, you, you know, you're setting yourself the wrong role model. Yes. Right? Where are the people? Because i, I got to be honest, and you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just blind to it and, and this stuff is going on on campus. But I don't see it. And I spend every day from you know eight a.m. till six p.m. you know on campus, and I don't see a lot of you know students on campus sharing their faith. So maybe you're there hiding. I don't know, right? But 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 that would be great to see. What about us as older Christians? You know, how many of us? You know, we saw that the calls of Jesus. How many of us have gone back to our old lifestyles? Gone back to fishing? How many of us need to be, if we assume that, that, that this is right, that John, you know, the account comes first and then Peter sees Jesus and follows there and then goes back to his work and then Mark 1 and Jesus calls him again, but, but his heart doesn't change till the third call. You know, and, and a lot of scholars think that's probably how this works. But, but, but what about us? You know, and at the end, John 20, 21, where's Peter? He's gone back fishing again. So we learn something. Like there's this real, there's this tendency for us to go back to our old way of life. And it might just be, not, might not be the, the sin, but, but, but our old lifestyle. We get caught up in things. You know, we started studying disciple makers recently. What's our heart with that? What's our heart with that? Are, are, are we so caught up in our own world that, that actually kind of making time for anything else is just, you know, and our hearts aren't really in it anymore. You know, when Peter realized it was God calling him, he was like, what does it say? It says he dropped it all. He didn't, like, he didn't kind of go, Jesus, I just, there's a few good fish here, man. I, you know, can I just get a bag? I just sell these in the market and then I'll follow you. Like, they, they left that catch of fish. They left the whole thing. And, and, and you know, by all accounts, that really was the kind of the, the turning point. Like, it, you know, it doesn't go back until John 20. So, so, so something really changed for him here. What about us? Are we investing our best in the kingdom? You know, personally, I, I, I find that challenging. Because, you know, I, I remember my mindset when I was a younger Christian that you know, I used to kind of think, you know, if I get a job, my job is just to pay the bills. That's it, right? My, my, my goal in my life is to advance the gospel. My goal in my life is to serve God. That, that's it. You know, I prayed originally when, when, when I was kind of looking for different jobs and things when I was just out of university. And I was kind of like, you know, there's no one at the time on, on campus in Manchester. You know, if God wants someone there, then I'll pray. And maybe God will give me a job back on campus. And I got my master's PhD, went back there and things that did that. 
But, but, but I, and it was just clear in my mind. If God wants me there, that's what I'm going to do. And if he gives me money to pay the bills, that's great. But, but that's not what my heart is set on. The older I get, that is hard, right? Because you become more invested in your career and maybe you have more dependence. You have children who are depending on you and you know your time is more taken up. You have more responsibility, better titles maybe for some of us or whatever it would be, right? And, 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 and your heart becomes more and more attached to those things. You know, Sybil's point from before, from Revelation, no one ever went from hot to cold overnight, Right? If you look back over the last 10 years of your life, 5 years, 15 years, have you become, been becoming hotter and hotter? Or are you gradually kind of in that, you know? Like if you had to write down on a piece of paper now today, and this, you know, I'm sorry if this is a bit of a blunt point, but it's a good question, I think. Like if, you know, are you hot, cold, or lukewarm? What would you say? And I know so many of us are hot, and we have hot hearts, but I just think, it, you know, this is the kind of question I think we have to ask. What about our time? You know, the, the guys, I appreciate so much what the, 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 the Yopros, I'm about to say singles, but the Yopros are doing with the, the BCM, right? What a great project. What a great project. It shouldn't be a struggle. How many people do you need? 30 people? Yeah, it shouldn't be a struggle for 30 of us to commit, you know, once in a while to go down. It really shouldn't. I mean, like if we're too busy to give a little bit of time to help him, I'm, and I, I know it's not the only way. I, I get that. You know, we see homeless people and poor people all around us all the time. But for 30 of us to make a little bit of time to give, that shouldn't be hard, should it? What about our money? Oh, oh, oh tricky. What about our money? Do we have a vision? I don't, know, just, I don't think the goal is not to make us feel guilty, but, but, but do we have a vision? For if we gave a little bit more, just think about what God could do with that. You know the passages. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know the passages Malachi 3. Right? If you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, God will open the floodgates of heaven. Just think about it practically. How many people are in this room? There's at least a hundred of us. I would have thought, like, you know, when we meet on a, on a Sunday. If a hundred of us gave ten pounds extra each a month, that's a thousand pounds. You know, like, you know, is Kenny in the room? Can I say this without Kenny being here? Like, if we a thousand pounds a month, we'd probably be able to offer Kenny a job, perhaps at the end of his kind of one year challenge, or someone like him. Right, an intern salary is not actually that high. And again, sorry, you know, people who you know have lived on intern salary as have I. But 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 you just think about that. that. That wouldn't take an awful lot, I suspect, for most of us to go through our finances and kind of go, okay, you know, could I give ten pound a month more or more? Right. But but do we have a vision? If God is going to grow the church, it's going to take more than Forest and Mandy. We, I love Forest and Mandy, but it's going to take more than just them. We're going to need to be able to hire more people. It would be great to have our own venue where we can leave all this kit. I feel for the guys who have to lug this stuff in and out, week in, week out. It would be great to have our own venue. How's that going to happen? Well, it it would take a plan, right? It would take us putting some money aside and a plan for the future where we kind of go, right, we can put down a deposit or something like that and buy our own building. Do we have a vision for that? Right? I think that's a good place to start. So before we take the communion, Jesus calls us to follow. But to follow, I think we really need to understand grace. And to understand grace, well, you know, we kind of need to get broken, right? And to get broken, we really need to get in touch with our sin. Let's pray before we take the bread and wine. Heavenly Father, we live in a, in a world where you know, we become experts, God, at uh, defending against our sin, Father. Uh, Father, you know, people around us... 
give us good role models, Father, about how to acknowledge and admit that we're wrong. In actual fact, you know, people are looked down upon if they, if they acknowledge that they've made a mistake with something or, or messed up with something. People are shocked sometimes when we as Christians, you know, we try and kind of share, you know, I actually, you know, I have this struggle in my life. People are often be like, wow, that's really, that's really good to hear. I have the same struggle too. But God, the truth is, you know, we really need to go there, Father. We need to be able to get in touch with our sin, Father, to be able to understand, wow, you know. And, and, and we do it with our kids sometimes. We, you know, we want them to admit when they've done something wrong and not deceive us and not lie to us. Not to make them feel bad, but so we can kind of go, okay, thank you. Thank, you know, we say to our, our children, thank you for being honest. I appreciate your honesty. We give them a big hug and we say, good, you know, we can have a relationship again because there's not something in between us. And that's what you want with us, Father. That, you know, It's a simple point, Father, but on the cross, Jesus held his arms open wide. Father, if, if we're shielding ourselves because we're hiding our sin or we're just not in touch with it, God, then, then, then Jesus' offer of a, a hug kind of goes wanting, Father. You know, where we leave him standing, Father. Help us, God, I pray. As we leave here, as we think about the communion, Father, as we take the, the bread and the wine today, Father, help us be in touch with our sin, Father. Give us insight, Father. Help us have people around us who will speak the truth to us. Help us look at our lives, God, and the things we have done. And see the pattern, God, of things that have gone wrong, Father. And be able to to have courage, Father, to accept responsibility for that, Father, because then we can receive grace. In Jesus' name, amen. During the passing out to the one, I'm going to sing the song, Be Still, My Soul. Thank you.
Stand for a closing song, please. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. Give thanks to the Lord. Great Tunnel Fellowship.